Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. We are in our summer series, our discipleship series, when we get really deep and uh, we're going to get right into the Word of God. Turn to Revelation chapter uh, 2. Revelation chapter 2. We're we're, we're just taking some time learning about seven churches that uh, John writes to. This is Jesus Christ speaking to each one of the churches. Now, while you're turning, let me remind you that tonight at 5 o'clock is a special interest meeting. And on September the 9th, we are launching our Ridgeville campus. Can you say, woo that's great, awesome, whatever. And, uh, and so at 5 o'clock in Building 6, if you live in Jedburg, Ridgeville Way, up that way, north of here, uh, we invite you to come and be a part of that meeting and uh, see what God is going to do, how you can serve, how you can be involved in that meeting there as well. Uh, How many in here have daughters? Let me see your hand. How many in here named your daughter Jezebel? Let me see your hand. Maybe Sally, Sue, Jessica, whatever, but, but Jezebel is not a name that we would choose to name our kids. It's, 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 it brings to mind maybe one of the most evil, wicked, idolatrous women in all the word of God. And so Jezebel, we don't call our kids that. And yet we're going to learn about a church this morning at Thyatira that allowed that spirit of Jezebel to remain inside the church. And we're going to look at how it affected the church and how it can affect every single one of us today. Now, last week we looked at Pergamos. And Pergamos was a city of compromise. If you think about one key word that defines that city, it's the word compromise. And they were moving closer and closer to the world, to immorality, to idolatry, to all those kinds of things. And they were compromising with the world. But by the time you get to Thyatira, they are totally in bed with the enemy. They are sleeping with the enemy. They have, they have set up their camp with Jezebel, and they are in bed with her. The Bible says, we'll read it in a moment, she commits adultery with the church there. And so we see this total compromise, this total giving in to idolatry. And if, you, if the key word last week was compromise, the key word this week is tolerance. Everybody say that with me, tolerance. Even has a nice little ring to it, tolerance. Doesn't it sound wonderful? Let's see what God's word has to say. Let's stand together, and um, let's read. Revelation chapter 2, and we'll begin with verse number 18. To the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like a blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love, and your faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate, everybody say tolerate, You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality in the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and the minds, and I will repay each one of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, 
To you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you, only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I received authority from my father. I will also give him the morning star, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord, we come to you today just humbly knowing that we need your help this morning. As we uh, look at this church, I pray that we would listen to what the Spirit would say to us this morning. That we can receive into our hearts and lives. Give us understanding. Give us your mind, your heart, we pray. I pray for the anointing of the Spirit of God as I bring forth your word. We love you, God. We thank you. We ask all this in your mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We're looking at the seven churches in Asia Minor that John writes this book of Revelation to. It's a circular letter. It would go from one church to the next to the next until it hit all seven churches. And, and in chapters two and three, it's Jesus Christ who's talking to the churches. And each time he identifies himself with a characteristic of his nature, of who he is, that would apply directly to that church. This time when he describes himself, he starts out by saying, first of all, I'm the one who has eyes like burning flames of fire. I want to tell you, Jesus sees all the way deep inside of our hearts. He knows the intent of our heart. He knows our motives. He knows everything about us. He looks deep beyond the surface. We look at each other, we see the exterior, we see what's on the outside, and we all look good, and we all feel good around one another, but the Bible says God judges the intents and thoughts of the heart, and so he says, my eyes are like a burning flame of fire, and you may look great, Thyatira, but I see what's going on, and I know what you're doing right now. I see every action that's taking place. And then he says, my feet are like burnished bronze or brass. That's a symbol of the judgment of God, and so we see that God will judge us for our sins, and he is about to judge the church at Thyatira. He is coming quickly. He will not only put an end to Jezebel, but all those who follow her as well, and so he writes that a little later in the letter. It says in Revelation 19 and verse 15, he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Now listen to me. We like to talk about the love of Jesus. And Jesus is incredible love. God is love. And everything about Jesus Christ is love. But, but also God is a holy God and God will judge sin. And I think somewhere along the line, we may have forgotten that. In our acceptance of everybody, we forget that God has a holy word and a holy standard for us to follow. And if we're not careful, we can begin to justify our sin and justify our actions. But God is a holy God. And if God were not a God of love, he would not judge sin. But he judges sin because he loves us. And we see this coming down on the church at Thyatira. Now let's take a few moments and look at some of the key players in this church. Look at verse number 19 again, if you would. It says, I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and perseverance that you are now doing more than you did at the first. I've got good news for you. God always has a faithful remnant. I don't care how many things messed up they look like on the surface, God has a faithful remnant. And he writes to this remnant, he writes to those who are his true church, and he says, you know what, you've got some amazing things going on. In fact, you are better at the latter than you were at the first. You are growing in each one of these areas. 
First of all, he says you're growing in love. You're growing in love. You're loving me more. You're loving people more. You're loving those around you more. You are a church that is growing in love. What a great thing to be said about a church. Oh, that that would be said about faith assembly of God, that we are growing in love for one another in the body of Christ, that we are loving Jesus Christ more and more and more in our lives. Growing in love. Church at Ephesus, the first church he wrote to, had lost its first love along the way. And something happens when you begin to lose that love for God. You open yourself up to all kinds of sin. But when we love God, I will obey you, God, because I love you. And so they were growing in their love. That remnant was holding strong. Out of that came service. And he said, you're also growing in service. And when we love God, we'll love his people. And when we love his people, we're going to serve one another. And so what happens is I serve you because I love you. I care for you and I, I do whatever I can to help you, to strengthen you, to encourage you because I want to serve you because that's part of loving each other. And then he says, we're growing in faith. What a great thing to be said of a church. They are more faithful. They're growing in faith, in their love for Jesus, and their faith in him. And finally, they are growing in perseverance and patience, even in the midst of a crazy world, idolatrous, sinful world all around them. They were growing. They were getting stronger. It should never be said of us that we are maintaining, that we are just simply holding our own that we're just hanging on, hoping to make it to the very end. But I believe every child of God, it should be said of us, we are always growing in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are always going from grace to grace and glory to glory, and we are being conformed in his image every single day of our lives, advancing in every area. Now, that's what Jesus Christ said to this faithful remnant, to this church at Thyatira. He says, I see everything you're doing for me. It's very impressive. I like what you're doing. I love your faith. I love your service. I love your perseverance. It's all very impressive, and you're getting better at it, not just good, but you're getting better every day. Awesome commendation. We need to ask ourselves, are we growing in Christ Jesus in our own lives? How's my life measuring up? Am I just kind of same old, same old? Am I maintaining the status quo? Am I growing in Jesus Christ? Am I loving others more? Am I looking for opportunities to serve others more? Am I more effective in sharing my faith and sharing my witness for Jesus Christ? Am I having a greater influence than I had before? Is God using me in a greater way, in a greater dimension? Am I, am I loving more? Am I having more faith? Am I serving more? How, how are we doing now, as impressive as these accolades were, he goes to that next word. Look at verse 20. Nevertheless, five of the seven churches have this nevertheless in it. Nevertheless, you guys are doing awesome. The remnant's doing great. But nevertheless, I've got something against you. And look at what it says. I have this woman you tolerate, the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating food sacrificed unto idols. Now, it, it's safe to say from Scripture that that was not her real name. Rather, she was operating in the spirit of Jezebel because in that culture, in that day and age, no, uh, it wasn't a word that was used in Greco-Roman names, and so they, you can find nowhere else in the writings, the ancient writings, the name Jezebel ever used. And no good Jewish family would name their little girl Jezebel because that was kind of the worst thing you could call somebody was a Jezebel. And so it's obvious there's a lady in the church who calls herself a prophetess who now can be identified with that spirit, that spirit of Jezebel, 
And not only her, but all those she was influencing were operating as Jezebel out inside the church at Thyatira. Now, to understand what's going on in the church, you've got to go back and look at historical Jezebel. So turn, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 16. 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse number 31. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel. Now he's talking about King Ahab, and he's going to take Jezebel to be his wife. It's a political marriage. It's an arranged marriage. And so look at what it says. The daughter of Ithbel, the king of the Sidonians. So one king says, marry my daughter, and you take her, and then we'll be joined together as political allies. And they began to serve Baal and worship him. Here's the problem. You intermarry, you take an ungodly wife, you compromise in that area, and then you begin to worship and serve their gods. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel before him. Now, now Jezebel's influence is spiritually disastrous for the nation of Israel, uh, both for King Ahab and both for the country itself. And so the Bible describes what happened. Now, first of all, Jezebel is an idol worshiper. Her husband, her, her daddy's Ethbal, and so it meant he was the worshiper of Baal. And Jezebel is all about Baal, the, the, the god Baal, and, and worshiped that god and would set up idols all around the northern kingdom in Israel to bow down and worship this new idol. And, and so she now convinces her husband, who is Jewish, Ahab, you know what, it's okay, it doesn't matter who you worship, we're all worshiping the same god. Isn't it just the name, Jehovah, Baal? Aren't we all going to get to heaven somehow, some way? It really doesn't matter what you worship, what you do, who you follow, who you serve. And Ahab begins to buy into that logic, and so he helps her, and they begin erecting all these idols in Israel. And they begin worshiping them. Not only is she promoting idol worship, but she is vehemently going after those worshipers of Jehovah. And so she's trying to kill all the prophets. So any prophet she'd get her hands on, she would have him executed. And she sets her own people up to be the, uh, the new leaders of the nation of Israel. And so she's killing them. A man by the name of Obadiah hides 50 of the prophets in a cave, feeds them with bread and water, and sustains them and keeps them alive during this purge that is going on in the nation of Israel. She does more to take the nation of Israel down than any other person before her, Jezebel. Now listen to me. For that spirit of Jezebel to operate, it needs a weak husband or a weak leader to operate because the spirit of Jezebel's manipulation. And she's manipulating King Ahab to do what she wants to do. She's, she's actually ruling the nation of Israel through Ahab, but Jezebel's the real leader here. Now, let me say this very quickly. Jezebel, that spirit of Jezebel, doesn't necessarily have to be a woman. It can be a man or a woman who manipulates the leadership that is over them. And in this case, for Jezebel to thrive or operate, Jezebel needs a weak husband. And so Ahab is what we might call today henpecked. And she rules the roost. And she's in charge. 
And everybody around her knows it. Everybody around bows down to Jezebel and her idols and all that she is. And here's the problem. By trying to kill the prophets of Israel, she effectively silences them. And even though she can't kill all of them, even though they're hiding out in a cave for their lives, they are silenced and they no longer speak up against her or anything that's going on in the nation of Israel. They just simply keep their mouths shut. And yet God has a man by the name of Elijah. Aren't you thankful for the Elijahs of our day, of our generation, of every generation who rise up and speak up against this idolatry, speak up against Jezebel herself. And so there's this big confrontation between Elijah and all the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth. Now you combine Ashtoreth's prophets and Baal's prophets, there are 850 of them. There's one man by the name of Elijah. But Elijah stands up and and he's going to offer a sacrifice and they're going to have a showdown on top of this mountain, Mount Carmel. All the the prophets of Baal are there. All the prophets of Ashtar are there. They are the ministers of their day. They are the uh, media. They are the lawyers. They are the spiritual elite. They are the governmental elite. They are all there. They're the special interest group and they're all there in Elijah's day. And he stands up and says, and 1 Kings 18, 21. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And I will tell you today, the same is good for us today. If Jesus Christ is Lord, follow him. If he's not Lord, don't. But you can't have it both ways. You can't serve this world, you can't serve yourself, you can't serve anybody else, but if we literally believe Jesus Christ is Lord, follow him, serve him, obey him, live for him. But here's the problem. It goes on to say, but the people said nothing. They opened not their mouths, they never said a word. You see, the condemnation against the church in Thyatira is because they were tolerating. He says, I have this against you. You tolerate sexual sin. You tolerate immorality. You tolerate idolatry. You tolerate Jezebel and all of her false teachings. You tolerate her. Elijah was the only man in Israel to speak up against a nation that was rapidly falling apart and going into total and complete idolatry. Now, the thing that made Jezebel so dangerous in Thyatira is that she called herself a prophetess. I'm a prophetess. Uh, Follow me. And she says, I've got these deep teachings that no one else has. No one else gets. I've got these super deep revelations. And what happens is the church gets sucked into all that, and they begin to follow Jezebel. She assumes a religious posture, and she makes immorality and idolatry a part of her new religion. Now, here's the warning for us today. Be careful who you follow. Everybody who calls themselves an apostle and wears the name badge or calls themselves a prophet or a prophetess or has some deep, dark word from the Lord that no one else has really gotten, it's a revelation that God has given me. Be careful, watch out, don't follow him. Listen, you've got everything you need in the word of God. You don't have to follow somebody who comes along and says, you know what, I've got some hidden, dark secret that I want to share with you. Listen to Mark 13, 22. He's talking about the last days. In the last days, false messiahs will come, false prophets. They will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, and if possible, even the elect. 
The other thing you can see about false teachers and false prophets is they are trying to get a following unto themselves. They're not pointing people to Jesus Christ. They want the following. They want people to follow them and give to them and support them and do all this other thing because you see it in verse number 20. You see a progression there. She misleads my servants. By this time, Jesus is speaking right here. She is misleading my servants. By the time you get to verse number 22, he says, those who commit adultery with her. Now they were servants of Jesus Christ. Now they're in bed with Jezebel. Now they are in bed with the enemy. And then by the time you get to verse 23, he begins to call those people her children. You see, they're not pointing people to God or Jesus. She's bringing people unto herself. And so one of the things you'll see about false prophets or false teachers or false apostles is they try to get a following unto themselves. And pretty soon everybody's after me and they love the accolades, they love the praise. And we as leaders in the church are supposed to always point people to Jesus Christ. We need to say like John, not to us, it's not about me. I simply am bearing witness to the one who comes after me, the one whose shoes I'm not even worthy to unbuckle. That's the one I'm pointing everybody to. We got people who want that following for themselves, and that's exactly what Jezebel is doing. The great deterrent to sin is, is God's truth. And so she is bringing a false teaching to those who follow her in Thyatira. And when you introduce false teaching, it opens up the door to every other kind of sin that is out there. And so they are accused now of sexual immorality and idolatry itself. When you take away the truth of God's word out of the heart, it makes you susceptible to any other kind of sin that comes along. The best defense against false teaching and against immorality is to know the truth of God's word. I want to challenge you, get into the word. Know the word. Study the word. Be like David who said, I've hidden the word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Your best defense against the counterfeit is to know the truth. Get into the word of God. Verse 24, look at that verse, if you would. Some interesting language. I've alluded to it already, but let me read it to you so you can see it again. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, you who hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. So she comes along with a new revelation, a deep secret, Someone else, no one else gets, but I've got this knowledge imparted to me. And she begins to lead this whole group of people in the church of Thyatira away from the truth of God's word. And they begin to follow her, but they love the deep things of God's word. I want to get the deep teachings. He says they are actually teachings of Satan because they don't have their origins in the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't have their origins in the word of God. They have their origins in the mind of Jezebel, in the heart of Jezebel. And so be careful those who come along and say, I have this deep teaching that I want to share with you. Now I want you to notice the price of this tolerance. And then we're going to kind of zero in on how it affects the church today. The issue Jesus is addressing here is not Jezebel. The issue is tolerance. I have this against the church because you tolerate Jezebel, 
because he also says in Revelation 2 and 21, I gave her time to repent of her immorality, but she was unwilling. In other words, he tried with Jezebel. He warned her again and again and again. He gave her time to repent again and again, but she would not. She was unwilling. So the condemnation in this letter now goes to the rest of the followers of Jezebel. He says, it's time for you to repent. In today's culture, the one word that you don't want to be called is intolerant. People call you an addict, no big deal. Call you a criminal, no big deal. Just don't say I'm intolerant. Call me anything but that, right? Because after all, criminals are simply victims. Addicts are simply victims. And, and we're all victims. And everything we do is really not my fault. And... Uh, but don't, whatever you do, don't say I'm intolerant. Am I missing it here? Or is this kind of what you're hearing out there today in the media and people all around you? Look at verse 20. I want to read again. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. The word tolerate literally means to permit or you allow or you do not forbid, you do not prevent or you'd not, you don't try to stop it. In other words, the church was not confronting the issue. And how do they do this? Simply by keeping their mouth shut. Their silence was their form of toleration. The prophets in Israel at the time of Jezebel in history were silent. Their silence communicated volumes. It communicates what you're doing is all right or I will not speak up for fear of retribution. And so what happens is they kept their mouth shut. Idolatry ran rampant in the nation of Israel. It's exactly the same thing that's happened in Thyatira. They are keeping their mouth shut. The church is not saying anything. They're not speaking out for righteousness and justice and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And because they keep their mouth shut, Jezebel is allowed to flourish and she keeps on picking more people out of the flock of God and they're following after her, and it's destroying the church at Thyatira. I, uh, I saw an illustration by John Bevere and, uh, in his book, Killing Kryptonite, and he talks about kayak, or, or going boating up the river. And I like to kayak. I go out with the kayak group every month, and we go kayaking up the river. And sometimes we'll go out to a point, and then you've got to get back to the dock where your car is located, but you've got to go back against the stream. And so if the current changes or the tide changes or whatever may happen, you gotta go against the stream or against the current and sometimes you'll be out in the open water and the wind is also blowing against you. Now listen, you can have your kayak pointed in the right direction. You can be going as hard as you can against the stream, but all you have to do is lift your oar out of the water and what'll happen? That current will begin to push your boat with the stream. That's like our silence in the church today. All we have to do is lift up our oar and say nothing. And if we are not careful, you can be pointed in the right direction. You can have the best of intentions, but your boat is losing ground and you are backing up and the current is pushing you down the stream. And that's the way the church of the living God is today. We are going against the stream of culture. Current is pushing us one direction, but the church has got to be that voice crying out today about what is right and what is wrong, what is truth, what are absolutes Today, but if we keep our mouth and say nothing, we simply get pushed away with the rest of the current of society. Famous quotation by Edmund Burke, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do 
nothing. The cultural idols in the hearts and minds of believers develop strongholds if the leadership of the church is, is silent. If we don't preach about sin and the word of God and what's right and what's wrong, if we don't preach a message of repentance. John the Baptist came and said, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus Christ came and said, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And yet we don't want to talk about that. If the church is going to be what God wants us to be, we must expose and eliminate sin. Now I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want to show you how it played out in the New Testament. Uh, you saw Jezebel in the old. Let's take a look at a New Testament illustration. It's verse number one. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of the kind that does not even occur among pagans. A man has his father's wife. And you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put, this, put out of your fellowship the man who did this. Now, Paul jumps on the church at Corinth because they are tolerant. Everybody is welcome. Now, listen to me. Everybody is welcome at Faith Assembly of God. Every person who walks through that door, they'll hear the gospel message. They have a chance to repent and give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. But not everybody can be a member of the family of God here. Not everybody can serve at Faith Assembly of God because you've got to know those who labor among you. And so what the church at Corinth was doing is, hey, you're having an incestuous relationship with your stepmom. No problem. You can be a greeter. You can be an usher. You can sing on the platform. You can greet people when they come in the door. You can teach a small group. You can do whatever you want. You're welcome here because we are the tolerating church. And, and Paul says, I, I have this against you. Where, where is the sense of holiness in my church today? God is coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle. And yet if, if we allow the bride to be mixed and we say anything goes and there's no standard, there's no morality, we just simply close our eyes while they simply pass into eternity without knowing God. Church has got to speak up. Let's finish the rest of this passage in 1 Corinthians, verse number 3. It says, even though I'm not physically present, I have, I'm with you in spirit. I've already passed judgment on the one who did this. In other words, Paul, who's not even there, is judging what's going on in the church at Corinth. Just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, you've got the power of God in the church. Hand this man over to Satan. You say, Pastor, that is so mean. That's so cruel. That, that's, that, that, where's the love in that? But he goes on to say, that, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and the spirit saved on the day of the Lord. In other words, it's not a loving thing to do for us to keep our mouth shut and not warn somebody when they're going into sin. Amen. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works its way through the whole batch of dough? In other words, if the church doesn't deal with that, it becomes just like the church at Thyatira. We tolerate Jezebel. We let her teach in our Sunday school class. She comes along with these uh, teachings and mysteries that only she gets and everybody's dazzled by her knowledge and they start following after her and as a result John writes I have this against you but God sees with his eyes like fire and his feet like burning bronze and he will come and destroy those who are of, of Jezebel the church said nothing did nothing and allowed it to grow both at Corinth 
and a Thyatira. You say, isn't that a lack of love? I think we have a misinterpretation and a misuse of the word love. Love is not the same as tolerance. Love and tolerance are not the same. I accept you as you are. I let Christ change you. But at a point, we've got to repent and turn to God. Love the sinner. Hate the sin. But sometimes we confuse love the sinner and we love the sin. And it doesn't matter what anybody does anymore. There's no voice crying out. There's no Elijah's. There's no John the Baptist's. And we're not speaking out the word of God. I've got a clip I want to show you. It's also from John Bevere. Take a look at it. And uh, it's very humorous. I think it'll get the point, though. Go ahead. Hey, bro, look, check it out. Labradoodle. What? Yeah, right down there. Oh. Good breed. So good. Yes, half lab, half moodle. Wait, what? Incredible. Moodle? Yeah. No, that's moodle. not a thing ever. No, no, it, it totally is. Uh, a moodle. Isn't that, isn't that Dave from Econ? Oh, yeah. What is he doing up here? He's probably just enjoying the view, man. Wait, isn't, isn't Dave blind? Hey, hey, Dave. Whoa, 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 bro. What are you doing? You can't, you can't just tell Dave what to do. Wait, why? Are you blind? Uh, no. Okay, so then you don't know what Dave's gone through. You can't really relate to him, man. Just, just, just let him be. He's totally fine. He's literally slipping right now. Okay, you're gonna, you're gonna get all up on him for, for slipping. Like everyone slips from here and there. I don't it's care no if he slips. I'm just trying to keep him. a guy from falling off a cliff. No, no, okay, listen. What, what I think you need to do right now is you just need to love him. You need to not point out What does that have to do with anything? It has everything to do with everything, okay? Like, if you, if you point out his weaknesses, he won't feel loved, he won't feel accepted. I'm just, feel I'm accepted. just trying to keep a guy from going off the cliff. No, you not even stop it. Hey, Dave! No, whoa, 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 stop it, stop it, stop it! If you speak out against blind people, so what many people will be upset with you? with you. No, so many people won't like you. But also, what if, what if he doesn't like us anymore? You've ever thought about that? Dave will be dead. I need to say, hey, no, no, Dave, no, 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 Dave! Someone, is someone there? Uh, yeah. Hey, Dave, how's it going? It's, uh, it's Charlie from school. Oh, hey, man. Doing this for Dave's birthday. Maybe you can help me out. I seem to have lost a trail somewhere. You, you want to tell me if I'm going the right way? Maybe he is lost. You're right. We, we should still just encourage him. Yeah, yeah, hey, no, Dave, you know, you're doing great, man. Uh, uh, you know, I love that you're out here, man, too. I I'm proud of you, being out on this trail. You you're doing great, man, you're doing great. Oh, okay, thanks, man. I say I'm going the right way. Watch, I'll figure it out. Just gotta love him through his problems. Yeah, you got it, man. You're doing great, man. Doing great. 
So speak only encouragement. Isn't that awesome? That's what's happened in Thyatira. Spirit of God says, I have this against you. You tolerate. You're allowing it to remain. There's no, no voice against sin. There's, there's no voice against idolatry. We're no, not talk about it anymore. There's nothing being said about it anymore. He goes on and he says, there's a reward for faithfulness. When you look at these last three verses, they're awesome. It says in verse 25, only hold on to what you have until I come. Hang on, don't, don't let go of the truth of Jesus. Don't, don't let go of what I've imparted to you, what I've given you. To him who overcomes and does not, and does my will to the end. In other words, he defines an overcomer as somebody who does his will to the end. Hangs all the way in, all the way to the end. I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter, dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I've received authority from my Father. And I will also give him the morning star. Two things, he says. If you overcome, if you overcome with me, you will also rule and reign with me. That prophecy points to the Lord Jesus Christ who would rule over the nations with an iron rod. He says, when he saves us, when we come into his kingdom, we get to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. I rule and reign with Christ right now in a spiritual dimension. I can pray, I can believe, I can rule with him in the spiritual dimension. One day I will rule and reign with him in his kingdom, his millennial kingdom, and forever and ever with Jesus Christ. And then he says, I'll give him the morning star. Morning star. The Bible prophesies that he will arise with healing in his wings. That morning star that, 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 that comes up, that, that brightens our day, that brings life, that brings healing, that brings health, that brings hope. I will give of him the morning star. Jesus Christ said, I'm giving him myself. He's described himself as the morning star. And we get Jesus Christ and all that there is. You see, Jezebel tried to pressure all the prophets to silence. Killed many of them. But there was one who spoke out. His name was Elijah. And for Elijah, God protected him. God fed him. God provided for him. God did miracles through him. God used him to bring revival to the nation of Israel. We cannot be silent. We can't allow the world to intimidate the church not to open its mouth and speak up about what's right or wrong. I want to share something, and this is just kind of off script, but it's just on my mind, and I'm praying very hard about this, and I hope you do as well. I think the church has been basically silenced about the issue of abortion. We have tried to make it a political issue. It is not a political issue. It is a moral issue. And the Bible says we have a chance to speak out for those who can't speak out for themselves, namely the unborn children we got a Supreme Court nominee that has said he is pro-life, that he's come out to being pro-life. You never fully know until they go through the whole system, but at least on the outset, he is saying he is pro-life. I will tell you there is a group out there that will do everything they can to try to block that nomination from happening. And we kind of yawn and say, well, we've tried before and we've tried in the past and nothing's ever going to change and it's always going to be the, cha- the same and we're always going to be killing babies in America as long as we're alive. Listen, I believe the church has a chance now to speak up and let his voice be known, let his voice be heard because it is an issue of taking another life. Whether it's inside the womb or outside the womb, murder is murder. And yet we've turned it into political, special interest groups, media, everything else. Abortion, it's wrong. Are we going to be silent? 
lift up our paddles, be swept away with the current and say what's been is always gonna be and there's no point for me saying anything or a Christian's gonna rise up and let their voices be heard. Listen, you got men and women all around you who are heading for that cliff. You work with them every day. You know what their lifestyle is all about and they're walking towards a cliff. And we don't say a word because I don't wanna offend them and I don't wanna crowd their space and maybe I just, maybe they're gonna think uh, evil of me and maybe they're gonna think I'm intolerant and they'll use that word and all that. But if we don't begin to speak out and talk about the goodness and love and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and there's a way out of their sin and there's a way out of their mess, they're gonna go over that cliff into a Christless attorney without the Lord. We gotta speak up. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.